What are you anticipating seeing, you know, amongst the New Zealand teams, given you've, you've given all that about the All Blacks? Oh, just so many good young players, mate. I don't know how you do it there. Oh, I do, because you've got three of the biggest uh, academies in the world. Fiji, Samara and Tonga. They're not bad. Oh, we were waiting for it. I was waiting for it. Hello and welcome to another Drop Kickoff podcast. You're probably used to us not having that much class, that much quality or being that insightful, but today we will be because for a change we have some quality on board. Today we have Rugby Reg, the esteemed Rugby Reg, Queensland Reds probably biggest supporter or sec- uh, second biggest perhaps. Who, who's my comparison? I, 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 I need know, to James, know. James Horwell, maybe. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> um, I'm happy to be second behind James Horwell. That's all right. <laughs> and of course, you can probably guess by that laugh, also Nick's on board. Hey, Rich. How you going? Hey, Nick. I'm warm, mate. Thanks for having me. It all feels very strange being back on a Grand Gold Rugby podcast, and we didn't even win the Bledisley Cup to do it. Uh, <laughs> hey, hey, technical. We were an offshoot. We are uh, exactly, better call exactly. Saul. Yeah. Fair enough. Uh, no, no, no. But uh, standing on the shoulders of giants over here. I guess we'll just go straight into it. We love talking about rugby. Let's get straight into it. Um, so I, I, I can't remember actually. Was it yesterday or day before? Brad Thorne uh, got announced that he's leaving at the end of the season. I'm not totally sure how to frame this question, but. I don't know, was this the right decision or is this the ideal scenario? Yeah, it's an interesting one, isn't it? It seems like a really, I think it genuinely is a positive move all around. I think it's positive for Queensland rugby. It's been, Brad's been there for a while now. I think he's, he's our longest term professional coach, you know. Um, uh, he's been coached more Queensland Reds teams in the professional leader than anyone else, more than John Connolly, more than Ewan McKenzie. Um, obviously way more than Eddie Jones. Um, but it's definitely time. I think coaches have a, uh, have a time span, particularly in this professional era. Um, and when you consider the fact that for a couple of years before that, he coached Queensland country and a year before that, he coached Queensland under twenties. He's been with a lot of these guys for almost eight years. And I think that sort of reflected in the last couple of years when we saw the guys like Alex Murphy and Luke Arns, Salakai Loto and Angus Scott Young, who were in all those teams. And their only senior level coach has been, other than Wallaby's coach, has been Brad Thorne. And, um, that's an interesting challenge to have as a, as a player is sometimes you need new voices for new challenges. So, so say, is it a good call for Queensland rugby? Yeah, the time's right. And I think it's fair to say, well, I'm sure we'll jump into performances. Um, it's, it's, it's right from that perspective too. It's probably right for Brad. Really interesting comments by him, um, yesterday at the announcement that he's been in rugby nonstop. He went straight from playing to coaching, um, for a few decades now. And he and himself needs some time away from the game. And I completely respect that. Um, and, and I get the feeling it won't be for too long. I think he'll be around and back involved some, in some way, but it's good for him that he gets some space. He's got a family here in, in Brizzo and a few teenage boys, I think. It feels like a really positive departure. You know, I, I generally feel that way. I think at the, um, press conference, they have Dave Hannon, the CEO. Brad was there. Liam Wright, the captain. Um, Sam Connolly, the GM of rugby. And I think it was all very genuine. I've been fortunate being around Queensland rugby a bit this last year or so in, in various other capacities. And Brad's always there and he's just one of the most down to earth, humble guys. Um, I think generally, um, he probably knew his time up as much as anything. And I think he would have got all the support in the world from Dave Hanneman, CEO, to go out his way. And I think this is the right way to do it. You know, mid season, it lets them, uh, gets them in the market for a new coach. Gives a continuity this year. Um, they've got some good sort of assistant coaches who who will step up more, I guess. And it just gives um, the the re-signing strategy of who they need to re-sign, but also probably sign more importantly, a bit of impetus as well. So yeah, I think it's a positive step all round. So we were debating last week, uh, uh, we being me and Nick and Nathan, about what they should do next. Like, should they kind of go, "Hey, Brad, thanks, but we just got to move on, make sure." We just, you know, change things up, keep him on, let him find it out. Um, I think we, we had a bit of disagreement there, but that's always good, isn't it, Nick? Long-term legacy. Like, I was on, on the side of, hey, look, you know, he's, he's done well. You can only have so long. I remember being a kid, and one of the coaches growing up was just like, you got three years with them, then they stopped listening to you. <laughs> you. Do you think, as lovely as he is and 
and and he did do well for a couple of years that perhaps he was on for too long. Do you think, especially considering the Reds' recent history with um, Richard Graham, for example, who was perhaps there for too long, um, do you think he was on there for too long? Do you reckon they needed to kick up the bum? Uh, it's all good in hindsight. You could might say that. And, that, and again, I guess I hark back to um, the departure of those key players last year, Luke Arn, Murphy, um and and Scott Young and going into Tupo and, and I, I think Scott Young legitimately left for opportunities overseas is a smart guy and wanted to pursue some education overseas and a new experience and obviously hadn't cracked the Wallabies so good for him but I think there is a little bit more if you believe the rumours to Luke Hahn, Alex and Daniela this year um, that might relate back to the relationship with the coach and the voice and all that sort of stuff. Hindsight's great and you can say that now but it was only two years ago we won the Australian Super Rugby Pacific in an amazing year. We, I mean, we were, we were almost un, uncontested. I think there was um, maybe one loss in that season, but an amazing final at Suncorp. You know, and having been there in 2011 and been there two years ago, the atmosphere was as equal. It was amazing. It was it was exceptional. So I, I, they were never going to fire him last year. It, it was only really going to be um, this year at the start of this year. And I think even that's real unrealistic, given a, a year and a half. Um, the Reds were committed to him long term. I think they changed things up this year. You know, they brought in some really uh, different coaching voices. Phil Blake, uh, as a defensive coach, a highly, um, highly experienced uh, coach at number of levels, uh, number of sports as well. Mick Heenan, who's, you know, the, the long-term experienced Queensland Premiership rugby coach up here. Um, and if you, it's interesting to hear, I don't know if you allow yourself to listen to other podcasts, but Ryan Smith, the Queensland, um, uh, lock has a really good podcast put out by Queensland rugby called Socks Up. And I, I find it really insightful. It's genuinely good behind the scenes. And he had, I think it was a Harry Wilson one. So it must have been the first or second episode and really talked behind the scenes of the roles of the various coaches. And it was clear this year Brad was taking more of a backward step. Um, so Jimmy Mackay, who'd been attack coach, was getting more into counter attack and kicking. Um, Blake was obviously defence, uh, and Mick Heenan was a bit more attack structure, I think, and so on. And then they've got uh, an ex Kiwi who's um, doing a bit of forward stuff. And Brad was more sort of man management and overall overall culture and strategy and stuff. So they were already changing things up, um, and uh, it'll be interesting to see how that. I guess changes like whether Brad steps back even further for the next few months, um, and what the structure will be next year. That's anyone's guess. But I, look, I, I think it was it's one of those decisions that's great in hindsight, but I, realistically, I, I I couldn't see it happening. I, yeah, the, the big question mark, despite the success of the Aussies, is we failed against the Kiwis. I think we've beat them once in a couple of years, um, so that's probably the big um, thing that worked against them. But uh, uh, you know, I think the QAU supported them this year, brought them some new voices. Um, and uh, we're hoping that would, would sort of support the structure. But obviously it hasn't to any great degree. And again, we'll talk about this season soon, I'm sure. Yeah, it's actually funny you just said losing against New Zealand teams because I think one thing that came to mind was uh, two years ago, three years ago, when they're really on that high. Actually, it was probably two years ago just after AU, Super Rugby AU, then went into Super Rugby Pacific. Um, and they played the Chiefs up in Townsville and you go, right, Reds, top of their game. Um, and they didn't play well at all against the Chiefs, who, I mean, they were yeah. fantastic this year, but three years ago were at the bottom end of the scale. Um, and so I kind of, I reflect on that and, and Brad Stein there and uh, Vaughn Stein there up at Queensland Reds is, well, that's when you kick on and that's when you make up your next step and Reds never seem to be able to do that. Going forward, Brad, what do you think will happen or what would you like to see happen or what would you do? As in from next year? Yeah, six to 18 months. Yeah, look, I'm, I was really heartened to hear Dave Hannum's talk about getting a – they had the money for a good coach, a head coach. Um, and, and I must declare a conflict of interest. I'm good mates with Mick Heenan. I've known Heno <laughs> since school days. So I've, I've loved watching his ascendancy to, up the coaching ranks. I've been a big supporter of his um, – through the years, um, and, and I, I, I think he's uh, an exceptional talent. Um, he's got a great ally slash mentor there in Pat Howard, who he himself, uh, again, I know Pat, I've known Pat for years. They, those two are great mates. 
you know, have grown up together. Um, and Pat's got one of the most stunning rugby brains I've, I've met. Probably, you know, up there with Mick, uh, you and Mackenzie as someone, but uh, Pat's incredible. Pat's very highly involved in Queensland rugby. Um, and, 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 and still, I'm sure has a voice in mixed year from a coaching perspective. That'd be a really interesting combination. You know, whether Pat's full time outside of rugby, he's a, he's a very smart, astute commercial businessman. Um, but whether he wanted to uh, get his hands back in the water from a, from a rugby coaching perspective, um, as a, as a, a two for one with Mick would be really interesting. But, you know, there is some fascinating other names being mentioned and Robbie Dane's one that came out of Dave Hannum's mouth yesterday is really interesting. Um, they, it's interesting going back to when Brad Thorne was appointed. I went and checked this yesterday. Queensland Rugby had just turned, I think, so Brad was appointed to 18. Our financial, um, our QAU's financial performance in 2017, they declared a 12000 or $22,000 profit on the back of a 700000 or, you know, Massive loss the year before. So they were dire straits. They couldn't afford a big note. You know, I think there was talk of Stuart Lancaster and all that sort of stuff. There was no way anyone of any note was coming to us. Um, the internal appointment that was Thorne, um, who had what he lacked in coaching experience, he made up in um, an aura, but also, I guess, a bit of a name that gave us a bit of credence in the media and with some players and so on. Um, and a relationship with some of those young players who had brought through the system. But he, he was at a bargain deal, I would suggest. It's changed now, and, and QIU are in a lot more better financial position, having posted a few years' profit, and, and things are looking continually up with developments at Ballymore. I think there's a bit of money there to spend, and, and it'll be interesting to see who they do pull in. Um, I think we've learned in the past that uh, that high-price uh, international coaches aren't always the answer be it, you know, a Dave Rennie, be it Robbie Deans with the Wallabies, you know, but uh, he's, he's you know, this that was, what, eight to ten years ago now. How, how has he developed as a coach? He has that experience and knowledge of Australian rugby, which will stand him in better stead. Um, whether he wants a job, I don't know, but there is a strategic relationship between his club and the Queensland Reds, which adds things, um, an interesting perspective on it. But I, I, I like the idea of getting a really high-credentialed, head coach and keeping these support guys, guys like Heenan in there um, to support. Um, I, I I can't I, – I, the coaching is the most critical appointment of a rugby team. I think it's what defines success in a team. Um, I, I, I probably have to put a caveat about that for the Brumbies. The Brumbies are remarkable what they've done um, over since 96 um, and even starting with McQueen. Um, he wasn't a highly credentialed coach. He had a good team with the Waratahs in 91, a good performance with them in 91, but he wasn't a highly credentialed coach in 96. But what he built, the success he's built, Eddie wasn't a credentialed coach when he took over in 98. You know, Nusafora wasn't a credentialed coach. They brought in Jake White once, um, and, and he sort of changed things up. But Dan McKellar wasn't a highly credentialed coach, but the structure they've got, the system they've got there is just remarkable, and I wish someone would, would just capture it and share it across the unions. But so going back to Queensland, the coach is, is crucial and I don't think they can afford to go back to another, um, let's call it a trial coach or a, a um, someone without the, the experience of a head coach role um, in a professional organisation. And you, you see who these European and um, Japanese teams are signing as coaches. They are professional head coaches and we still in Australia, with all due respect to everyone, are signing um, lower profile entities. If we want to take this sport seriously and perhaps Rugby Australia need to get in and chip some money in, um, I know we want to create pathways for coaches, but sometimes those pathways can be under highly credentialed, experienced international coaches with the state teams as well. So I just think it's time to look at someone um, who can take the Queensland Reds who are in a very good position with some quality young players um, and uh, new Ballymore, a high-performance system, um, lots of exciting things happening in Queensland and Australian rugby. It's an ideal time to get a good coach who wants to um, springboard themselves. So um, I'd like to see that, a, a high-named coach um, uh, who's really to, you know, prepared to commit for a few years to the, to the, um, to the team because uh, there's some exciting stuff ahead. Do you think then off the back of that, because I, I do agree with you that there is – the notion of that we need to bring in a much higher profile coach. But leaning back on that point you mentioned, because you're familiar with with a lot of the support coaches who are coming through. First of all, you know, 
I completely agree. The Brumbies have just got something. They've, they've nailed down and perfected that ability to really craft and produce great talent, great systems um, through that coaching system. Is that something with the current support staff that Queensland has that they're capable of replicating? Even, you know, if you were to bring in an extremely high-profile uh, high coach with a lot of credentials, uh, is there a platform there? Um, because obviously I do think that the, there is the player base there. Um, and adding to your point on, you know, that the Reds are in, I actually think besides the performances on the field, are actually in a pretty decent position. Uh, you mentioned they posted a pretty decent profit. Um, they had a lot of big signings uh, just a few weeks back, a lot of, bi- uh, you know, great talent that's sticking around for a long period of time. Um, do you see that there is a way to not only bring that coaching side of things with a great high-profile coach who, Similar to, you know, Eddie coming back to the Wallabies can, can draw attention to the sport, but then also set up a framework combined with, with Ballymore with the current staff that are there. Uh, yeah, look, I, um, I would like to see, I, I think you can change things. If you get a, a, a quality head coach in, um, I think a Mick Heenan works well on that structure. Whether a Phil Blake does it, and I don't, I don't know Phil, um, but he's been around for a while. He's, a, he's, I don't want to say journeyman in a negative connotation, but he's been at a few clubs. Um, whether he's prepared to sort of sit under a high-credentialed coach like that, as well as providing many players to other teams, we also provide many coaches. Dan McKellar's a Queenslander. Tim Sampson's a Queenslander. Jason Gilmore's a Queenslander. Um, there are lots of high-quality young coaches um, or, you know, younger, less experienced coaches across Super Rugby in Australia. Um, there's even a few at the Fiji Drua. Um, who would, you know, Ben Mowen's just come, you know, going to be back at the, um, the Brumbies next year. Brumbies will claim him, but he's a Queenslander. He's like a captain for Queensland before he captain for anyone else. Um, he lives here. He, you know, he's, he's an East boy. Um, those sorts of guys uh, would be ideal to bring under that sort of structure. And there'd be an awesome coaching team if you had someone like him and then, Betty Marwin and, and a Timmy Sampson, Jason Gilmore, all those guys back under um, the Queensland banner. I don't think it'll happen. I think they're all contracted elsewhere. Um, but, yeah, th- th- there's definitely that credentials. And it's all um, sort of on this lovely little sort of bed of, of, of talent that Paul Carrozza continues to develop. Paul Carrozza, former Wallaby winger, heads up the Queensland Academy. Um, he's just got a remarkable talent to identify these young players. Now, we have a challenge keeping them because that is professional rugby. We don't have a professional third tier or even a semi-professional third tier that enables more opportunities for these young guys. So you get the likes of Reese Van Neck and Blake Shoup who went to school in Queensland and and um, uh, those sorts of guys sticking around. Uh, Harry Vella and Andrew Romano. You know, there's four young props in the system of all the other clubs um, playing elsewhere when we're struggling for prop depth. So it's a challenge that recruitment and retention of players. Um, so we've got, I think we do have the talent. It's obviously not at a Brumby level, but they have a different, a different approach to it, don't they? Um, they, they are heavily in terms of recruitment from elsewhere. They are, they are producing some great young talent. The Lonigans are a great example, but they do still rely on talent from elsewhere. Um, and, uh, you know, the, and then the academy is ironically one place I think Brad would serve very well if he wanted to just come back to rugby and link to Queensland rugby. He, he and Carrozza are great mates. I think they'd make a pretty good combination in a in a um, academy structure. Um, that's really interesting stuff. Actually, I do want to talk about the squad. That's kind of the next note I yep. had. I I really think Australian rugby just has to get rid of all that Australianness and bring people in, get those names in, get excitement going. You know, imagine if the Reds had some Georgian prop. You know, just even the little cult hero status that they get out of that, like in the same way that um, Jack's pot Gator had at the Waratahs when he was there. That, that works in isolation, but then you get to a point where I think was it last weekend only two teams had Australian number eights, and you know there was a around a, a Super Rugby round a few years ago when there was one Australian fly half, only one Australian fly half playing. Yeah. It, 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 if, if it strategically works, the Reds did it well with Daniel Braid back in 2009. He just Played open side for us in a time we had a really inexperienced team and provide just great maturity for us. If it's isolatory and it's controlled and we're not producing, we're not just all picking, we're not all picking tight head props or we're not all picking fly halves. Um, it can work, but 
you know, when the force of half their team, Kiwis or uh, ineligible and the Rebels are, are not too far away, English exactly, yeah. um, I'm not a big fan of it. Let's talk about the squad. So you're proud Queenslander, and I guess we could talk about the Wallabies in this as well. Do you think, we just talked about all the talent there, and I mean, a name we haven't mentioned, I don't think, uh, is Carter Gordon, another Queenslander. I mean, is this, is this squad being underperforming? Is the talent there? There seemed to be a lot of talent. And on top of that as well, we talked about the people departing. Uh, Tong and Thor's going. Isaac Rotter went. Hooper went. Um, you know, uh, he's know. just, he's just injured, unfortunately. Stuart Hawkins left. Hawkins, Hawkins, that's it. They all mm. went. I mean, there's probably all different kind of things there. A bit of different machinations going on, perhaps. But do you think if we go right back to the start as well, Quaid got cut and James Slipper went. Uh, now they're still in Wallaby's contention, Slipper's the captain. How do we think about squad management? Brad Thorne's time will be defined on two elements. The young players he's brought in, and I don't think there's, and we listed those in Green and Gold Rugby the other day, I think he's had 50-odd debutants in his five or six years, which I don't think is over the top. I think that's pretty standard. The Tars have probably had 10 debutants this year. But they're all pretty high success rates. You know, the Liam Wrights, your Harry Wilsons, your um, uh, Tate McDermott's, all, all to the Harry Mc, Harry Hoopits and all that sort of guys who've all you know done well. There, there's not many two duds in there, so he, he's done well in bringing new talent. But he also be defined about the people he left, and there's probably two tranches of that. They're the ones you mentioned there. There's Quaid, there's um, Carmichael Hunt, there's James Slipper. Um, and uh, was there another one early at that time? I mean, Nick Frisbee and Adam Reddy left, but I think that proves pretty justifiable. I will maintain really hard decisions, probably the right decision, and I think if you ask those players, it was probably the right decision for them. It was all pretty career-definable for both of them. Played, went off, rethought, re-loved his game at South. Bit of time at the Rebels, I don't think that worked out for him. Bit of time Japan, that's worked out for him. Slipper needed a change, there's no doubt there's... There's more to that story, but Slipper's career has skyrocketed, and bravo for him. That's fantastic. He'll remain a, a red great, and he'll remain a, a Brumby great. I think that was hard decisions that needed to be made by Thorne at a time when the culture within the Queensland Reds was fairly diabolical. So he did the right thing there. And then you've got to chuck in the, the, the COVID trio, Hawkins, Rodder, and Lucas, at a time when things were just messed up. No one knew what was going on. Players were asked to take a cut. These three decided to take the money in Japan. And we can't besmirch them for that. They're professional athletes. Um, they've got to make a career. Um, Rodder, I think, had come through a particularly tough time personally, which he's written about or documented elsewhere. Um, Lucas is an interesting one. He's a super young talent, but he comes from a family of other super young talents who never quite cut it and sort of were always on the peripheral. Um, Benny, probably the most successful, and he you know, was a, he's a wallaby, sat on the bench for the wallabies, never got capped, but, you know, never really cracked it. Um, and plenty of success for Queensland. Um, a couple of other brothers who sort of played a fair bit of, um, a little bit of super, a lot of sevens. Um, and so Isaac, you know, maybe there's some lessons learnt for that family that you've got to take your opportunities when they come. And so that Japan came calling. I would hate to think he turns out um, in a red and white jersey for Japan at some stage because he's a super talent. Harry Hawkins, I hate that he departed. I think he is a superstar and I think he'd be playing for the Wallabies now easily. Um, uh, I don't think Japan's the best place for a forward to learn the game. Um, I think it's great for backs in terms of skill development and speed and reactions and reading plays and structures. Um, from a forward player, from a forward perspective, I don't, give the, don't think it gives you that hard-nosed grind. So I don't think he'll necessarily come back a better player than he would have if he stayed here or if he'd obviously gone to the UK or Europe. Um, and that's a shame. I think Isaac has got the potential to come back as a better player if he indeed comes back. But then it's this last tranche of these players I've mentioned a few times, Salakaloto, Marfi. Um, and Tupo, and I think they're probably uh, the ones that are most damning on Brad's time. Um, if the, the rumours are correct, they left because of the, you know, they're tired of that voice. And that comes back to what I said. I think that you know they, they say the right things in public, but you get a sense that there's a little bit more to it. All of those three played under the, in that Queensland under 20s team that won the national titles. I think in 2016 seems a long time ago, but so that's that's 
that's a lot of time under that voice, you know, coming in as kids into the professional age um, and just hearing that Brad voice for all that time. And and with all due respect, Brad's a young coach. So, you know, he was still learning the game then in terms of strategies. And you hear Quade talk now and he, and he says it's only now that he appreciates the um, – the strategy in the game and structures and all that sort of stuff, and that comes with different voices and experience. And so, I, again, you can't you can't deny the guys like Lucan and stuff who are still young people getting somewhere else and hearing a different voice. So, it will define Brad, and, and some will judge him harshly. Some already have judged him harshly with that. Regardless, if you get back to squad management, one of the toughest gigs in in professional sport is squad management. And what we saw from sort of 2000 onwards was hundreds of caps of experience leaving every year, legitimately or otherwise. You know, legitimately just seeking new opportunities, um, uh, but every year would would lose a couple of hundred caps. You know, 75 cap people, the Hamish Stewarts, um, the Chris Fawaiya Ortiz, those sorts of guys over years. But we never topped that up. We brought in young talent through the system, which was great. You know, the Ryan Smiths and the Geordie Batayas, um, you know, the Zane Nongols, good players who will, you know, go on to be very, very good players and experienced players. But you can't re- re- replace three, four hundred caps of experience, um, with zero caps, regardless of the ability. Um, and that's what we're seeing now. They brought in James and Connor. I think that was foisted a bit on them initially. I think it's paid off. He's been very good for us. Luke Jones this year is a very experienced player they board and we haven't seen him on the field just yet. So I think the, the balance between, yes, let's rely on our systems and, yes, let's bring in some experience that we need in the team has probably been a bit off and I think it's probably cost us, um, particularly in those New Zealand games where you're playing a different level of footy. You can cop it when, you know, we can get by with all due respect when we're playing a very poor Waratahs team, which they were a couple of years ago, and the Force and the Rebels who are a bit of a rabble. Um, but when you're playing those New Zealand teams, um, any weakness you have, they find and exploit, and we just had too many weaknesses. Interesting point you make off that in terms of how history is going to judge uh, Brad, in terms of this time, there was one thing that I did that we've been curious about, and that is the narrative that has been out there about the Reds over the last couple of years, but even especially this year, both in regards to Brad himself, as well as this squad uh, and how that squad is performing. And we've talked about players out there. I mean, how many times have we, have you and I, talked on Twitter about Vunavalu um, and the, the whole the whole uh, discourse around him? What are your thoughts out there about? how the Reds are being viewed within that particular space, in particular also in regards not just to Brad um, and his performance, but also the squad itself. Yeah, it's it's an interesting one, isn't it? And, and I, I chat to a, a few other very highly credentialed and respected rugby voices who I, I, I don't match, but I, I very much respect their opinion online. And the common comment has been almost the plateau we see in certain players. Um, Filippo Dagunu is an example. Dagunu was awesome. I mean, going back to his NRC days and those early Queensland days, he had his foibles, you know, um, some discipline sometimes and his tackling techniques, but he was unbelievable. Um, but he's really plateaued, you know, has his game come on. He's a bit, he's done a little bit better this year, but still he's in and out of the side. But last year he was, he was, you know, distancing the player. Um, and there's a few other players like that that you just worry, are they getting the development they need um, to take their game to the next level? Um, and that's where those new voices sort of help. Um, Bunavalu, uh, you know, it's not often I like to speak down of a Queensland player, but that performance he did a couple <laughs> of weeks ago, um, I forget which game it was up at Queensland. Was it but it, it was... Crusaders. Was it the Crusaders? I think it yeah. might have been. And it was, it was dire. I mean, he was, he looked disinterested and I think everyone knows the moment that it most notably was there when they kicked through and he ambled back to help cover the kick. But Ryan Smith had sort of been packing a million scrums and pushing in lineouts and making a heap of tackles, raced past him to secure the ball for him. And it was just, it just was mind blowing. You know, he'd just signed a new massive deal. So he's, there's no uncertainty, and it just looked, you know, his, he was under threat with a 
new Wallaby coach had sort of been saying things to try and get him motivated, and it was just a lack of interest. So I don't know. The, he's he's possibly a whole different case. I, I I don't have a read on him yet. He's remarkably talented potentially, but hasn't shown any of the. Um, well, he showed glimpses. I mean, his try scoring ratio is remarkable. It's best best ever from Queensland perspective. Um, but it's more than just the stats on the field. So, yeah, it's interesting. I mean, are the players responding to him? Are they, as you do with a new coach who's learning on the job, are they getting the, the technical expertise to take their game to a new level? I'd say they aren't at the moment. Um, and that's where a new coach will really, um, really bring the benefits. And that's why the selection of someone, it's pretty crucial. We need someone who can bring in and can take Tate and Harry, um, and, and, you know, uh, Josh Fluke and, and Pasami and Jock Campbell and all these super talented guys, Tom Liner, and take their game to a new level because they're all exceptional talent and it's still the core of a very good team, but they're not performing, I think, individually nor collectively how they should be. I, I think actually, yeah, you really kind of nailed the sentiment there that there are amazing talents there. Some have really taken it up. I mean, like, Pattaya is playing out of his skin. This oh, year. remarkable, isn't it? I, I, it's just like, it's, you know, when you're, I think, I, what did I say to you, Nick? It's like, you know, you're playing, like, it's year 12s, playing versus sevens, watching Pattaya <laughs> play at the moment, and, and Tate as well. Yeah. We've, we've talked about Pattaya for a very long time. There's, there had been a lot, I remember when, when he first burst onto the scene, and everyone was talking about him being the real next athletic you know, the, the really next big superstar player to come out of of Australian rugby. And this was back in the time when, you know, we had superstars aplenty, like a, a certain a certain Izzy uh, that uh, that everyone was drawing comparisons to. Um, I will say that it, it's taken him a little while, um, maybe I think probably due to maturity, but I'll be damned to say if I didn't see, you know, incredible potential with him as a long-term option for our uh, it, from a, from either in the back three for the Wallabies, it's just amazing though. I, I had always seen him as our as our fifteen, and it goes to show how well Wright has actually been performing. Um, but I feel like he's on his way though. He he's hungry. He's looking for work, and additionally to that, he's kind of got the rugby that sense of rugby smarts and reading the game field that I think Easy Falau didn't. Izzy was kind of probably a bit of a finisher. He was, he was, he kind of focused. That was his focus there. there were a lot of the structure was based on get the ball to Izzy and see what we can, and see what magic comes out of it. Uh, I see a lot more rugby brains in Joy Bataille, which is really exciting. Yeah, you're right. It's remarkable. He's, um, I think World Rugby or someone posted a highlight of the Rugby World Cup in 2019 where he obviously was a very raw, um, Wallaby player and it was ostensibly a highlight tape for Marika but it showed him running a very nice angle on the outside but popping this beautiful indoor inside pass to Marika who then zoomed away for a try but it just showed even then as he must have been 18, 19 his natural rugby instincts which we never Israel was a was a um, a wonderful athlete um, incredible freaky skilled sportsman but probably not a baller, they say. I think that's what the kids use. You know, not that natural rugby player. Whereas I think Geordie, we see that. It's funny, I don't know if he cricket is, but I always compare Geordie Pattaya to Shane Watson. Both young, <laughs> physical, but, but just big physical specimens, beautiful humans, great physiques. Um, but people just berated because their body broke down and their body language was terrible. Both frowned on the fields. They never looked like they were enjoying themselves and their body, you know, they got grumpy when they made mistakes. And both of them, I guess, remember Watson early on. Everyone just was so critical of him. They, and, and he, he was one of the most talented players and he probably never did it kind of in test, but very much in 50 overs and T20 is one of the best ever. Um, and I think Geordie's on the same path if he continue what he did this year. He's, he's a remarkable athlete, and it's just great to see that potential finally kicking in. And it's, yeah. I think, interesting. I think the Reds have managed his his field time a lot. He got a couple of criticism by people not finishing games, but I think the Reds were managing work, his workload early in the season and just sort of easing his way into the season. And now he's just, um, he's a he's a beautiful player. He's doing exceptional things, which is good to see. W- one of the few real standouts for the team this year. Totally. Um. I, I think I think actually though a good kind of 
comparison, not that I don't want to compare, compare the Tars, but if you compare to like Mark no, uh, Nawakani Tatazi, he was saying very raw, very, he's got a lot of talent. Uh, last few years he's come on like a truck. Same with Bataya. Um, but I kind of feel that, uh, I think he's probably two years younger, a bit younger than Bataya, Mark and Mark, but it's just like that kind of frustration. And it's as an Australian fan, because like you've mentioned before, 40, if not 50% of the talent in Australia comes from Queensland, and it's just not being utilised to its full extent. Um, and you just kind yeah. of hope those coaching structures as well, which have gone back to the, the Brumbies chat as well. Yeah, look, I, and it, it, there's twofold here. I mean, one is a pretty commonly accepted theory. One is my more controversial um, theory. Those stats between um, Marcus Smith and Noel Alessio, who are similar ages, the amount of actual professional footy we play was astronomical. Smith had sort of 100 professional games of rugby under his hat and Noel was still sort of scampering around in 50 or 60 sort of thing. And it, it just, it's just different that, that that innate rugby ability, particularly for a fly half to control the field, to, to read the game, all that sort of stuff. Our team players just don't play as much footy at that young age. So I think that's pretty well supported. My more controversial one is Paul's Queensland specific is that we have a school, elite school program here that is heavily scholarship. So teams, schools buy teams, buy players uh, to win premierships. Premierships, eight games of rugby. They don't let them play club footy. Um, they just get them focused on rugby. They barely get them to play any other sports. They spend, you know, one pre-season, one whole term pre-season in the gym um, and then they play their season. They buy players, they don't coach players. You know, this is a generalisation, but you saw a guy like Chris Fawais Ortiz, who was one of the most um, capped schoolboy players and a wonderful schoolboy player and, and achieved great things. You know, make no mistake, he played for the Wallabies. He's 100 times the player ever it was, but he could not perform basic skills. Because I don't think he ever had to. He was signed as because he was a massive unit. He could run over the top of people and he was fast. So he was never coached basic skills at school. You know, he was never coach structures. He was just so give it to the big guy, let him run. And I think we see too many of those guys come out of the school system without a basic coaching, basic skills understanding. It's, it's, they're not getting the development they need of playing at one, a lot of footy. They play eight games, maybe a couple of trials, um, in their senior year. Um, the good ones might play some, you know, rep football after that. Um, but I'm going to say it, I think the coaching's pretty lousy um, at schoolboy rugby. People hype up schoolboy rugby. It's a great atmosphere because the kids are, the students are made to go and there's obviously that parochialism there, but it's not the be-all and end-all people think it is. The standard's pretty poor um, and there's a big gap, you know, to, to the level that's required afterwards because, again, they might spend a lot of time in the gym, but I don't think they're getting the coaching, the skill development they need. And I, see, I think we're seeing that in the, in the generation of players. We still get the freaks. Make no mistake, there's still plenty of great young players, um, but uh, there's not the uh, the pathway. And yeah, you know, besides the fact our scholarship systems, half our scholarship players end up being leagueies anyway. So it's uh, the school system's a bit of a failing for us, unfortunately. I mean, actually, just while we got there, am I on the topic before we just move on? What are your thoughts on uh, Wiley? Yeah, yeah. Look, it's a lot of money. It's not all Rugby Australia's money. I think that's pretty much accepted. It's coming from foundation donors, donors and all that sort of stuff. By all reports, he's a, he's a special guy. I mean, he's clearly talented. I don't watch much league these days. Um, so I remember watching a couple of his schoolboys games. He's very much raved about, but he's also, I think he's very highly respected as an individual. A concern he's been at three or four different professional clubs already, hasn't he? You know, signed with the Wallabies. He's, been at, was he at South? He was at the Roosters. So, you know, you've got to worry about people's jumping around too much too early and what the mindset is there. But again, that's professional sport. You know, uh, there's a report in the paper today, up here today, that Rugby Australia have made an offer or they're chasing Payne Haas, um, who's just a big forward. I mean, apparently a bit of background, but I played some club footy in Newcastle. It's scary, you know. I know these foundation. You know, if the foundation want to spend money on on the NRL, it's um, it's nice to get some names and some print in the paper. But surely we can talk them into spending half the money on building great sort of scholarship programs and building and and getting these young guys playing good footy um, at a younger age. I don't know. 
um, whereby we don't have to wait till they've made it league to get them back. So I, I guess that's happened a bit. Guys like Billy Pollard and I think Angus Bell were all leaguey uh, targets and they stayed with us. Um, but, you know, I, I get worried if it's talked about too much. If there's a hit list of four or five or six, um, it, it gets a little bit concerning. But, again, there's I can see that some of the benefit too. I personally think it's a little exciting. Um, it's like they've got things talking and sometimes you just need a bit of that symbolic I like I that, like that, seeing that I, signal kind of stuff. Yeah, I like seeing leagueies get angry. National <laughs> teeth. I like um I like the fact that every time Suwali does some, something good, we can claim him as as rugby's own. Joseph Suwali scores a try <laughs> for the Roosters or plays for State of Origin. I like that. I think that's got to be good fun over the next couple of years. Yeah, and um, uh, Phil Gould's pissed off the the Roosters chairman. Yep. that's causing a bit of a civil war at the moment. Yep. I mean, here's the thing, it's, it's, it's a topic discussion maker in Gotten Rugby in the papers more than probably it has in many, many years. Add to the fact that you've got Eddie Jones as well chirping plenty of tunes. It's, I think it's, you can argue that, yes, he hasn't even played a game, but just based on, on media profile alone, it's definitely br- uh, brought rugby back into into, the, into areas and discussions where you haven't seen it previously. And you and me have seen it plenty of times, Reg, and I know you have as well, Nick, of, of wondering where's all the coverage of rugby in the mainstream area? And now all of a sudden here we have it. Um, yeah, absolutely. And perfect timing leading into World Cup, leading into Lions, leading into World Cup, leading into Olympics. It's, it's huge. Anyway, uh, moving on, I guess we were talking about Wallabies before. What are your thoughts on, I guess, the future of the game? Let's, you know, talk Wallabies and Super. Um, you know, Eddie Jones coming in, got Swiley, Lions, World Cup. But also Super Rugby's looking a bit like a, 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 sick, a sick man at the moment. Mm. What, are you, what are your thoughts on Super Rugby and Eddie Jones? And Interesting. We we are, it's 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 been said consistently, and we just both, both said it then, it is one of the most exciting phases of Australian rugby. I, I think we'll do really well at the World Cup this year. You know, um, injuries aside, you know, if we could get Bell back, if Tupo would be coming back, even if the impact from the bench, but for every Quaid, whoever it is. But I think Eddie, and because of our draw, but I think Eddie can get us to, you know, we should make a quarter final. If we can get a semi final, that'll be huge. You know, mm. that'll, that'll get people watching the game again. I, I reckon we could win the Political Cup this year. You know, it's one of those World Cup years that, um, or at least the rugby champions, but I think we're a good chance. You know, Eddie can make shit happen um, if this is a swearing podcast. Um, but <laughs> yeah, to be yeah. considering, <laughs> considering, considering, you know, the Kiwis will always rest people in a in a World Cup year. Eddie will have a tactic to win um, in New Zealand. Um, I think we're a good chance to get some great success this year. The longer long term impact of Eddie is the challenge, but I, I like the fact we've got World Cup this year. Lions in two years' time, mammoth, huge. There's going to be some amazing stuff there. And then our own World Cup in two years' time. I think that's enough to get Eddie the, Eddie the goldfish. Just focus on your next two-year project. Don't think long-term. Just you've got, to, you've got to win the World Cup this year, whether he does it, but he's got it. That's where you focus. Okay, put that aside. Next year, you've got, you've got two years for the, for the Lions to it. That's all your focus is. You're not talking long-term. You're not blooding 17-year-olds, all that sort of stuff. It is just that. And then two years after that, we will host the World Cup. So I'm... I'm quietly very um, confident about that, but I'm, I'm extremely excited about the potential. And let's not forget, you know, the sevens and the fact that we get to host uh, the, the Olympics in 232 and indeed the um, Commonwealth Games, however less relevant they are in, in sort of Victoria um, a few years before that. So, you know, legit golden pathway, very excited up in Queensland, Ballymore, lots of exciting stuff happening there. Um, super rugby is the big question mark, isn't it? The relevancy of, of super rugby. I agree. I think it's a tired model. And if I'm honest with you, I think our future should be targeted to Japan. I think economically, financially, I think the way their their um their development's going, both women in fact, you know, they've got a professional sevens league over there at the moment. So while our top tier sevens women will obviously keep focusing on the World Series, there's a tier below who have played Australia A and some very good players who are over there playing, getting paid to play in a sevens, professional sevens league in Japan at the moment. So really exciting, interesting development stuff happening. That's where I'd be going. Kiwis, do your own thing. I'm over it, you know. And it's not about quality, but it's the arrogance. It's the um, expectation. It's all this way. I think we can form a much more positive, progressive, 
economically um, sustainable model with Japan. If it's with those same models, the Saitamas, the Panasonic Wild Nights, all that sort of stuff, if it's that same model, I think that's a much more exciting model for us. And Australia's future is in Asia. You know, it's not the colonial past of the UK, Europe. It's not the US. The further we get away from the US, the better. It's not New Zealand. Economically, um, culturally, it is the Pacific. It is Asia. And, and, Austra- and Australian rugby, soccer probably as well, but we are uniquely positioned to be the one sport that can take advantage of that. And we should be doing that strategically now. I know some teams are doing it. Um, Queensland proactively. I think the, Re- I think the Rebels might have a relationship through Stolze. Um, but I think that's a really important and a really interesting area we should be developing quite strongly um, and exploring ways of um, playing a lot more rugby in Japan and with Japan coming over here because I think that will open up all sorts of opportunities far beyond we could achieve purely with us and New Zealand. It's, it's interesting you touch on that. And I, the, it's also that the idea and the notion of, of the Super Rugby, of Super Rugby being a tired model um, in its current format because of course if Australia is looking to new, to Asia probably New Zealand rugby would be looking to Asia as well as an opportunity do you see that as a case of them joining super rugby or is it a case that at come the end of the current agreement it's it's clear that there isn't that's a change the product isn't working it's just a case of we go our separate ways see you later and begin from there i think new zealand will expect to be the center of anything that happens and I think we've got to change that situation. I think we've got to be proactive. Australian rugby's got to be proactive and start working with Japan rugby now and, and the Pacific. You know, we've got a great relationship with Fiji. We basically fund their rugby program through our DFAT programs and their development programs. The women, they've been great additions. And I, I want, I've got an absolute soft spot for uh, Fiji. They saved Australian rugby in the 50s and 60s, and we should be doing everything we can to support them. So I'd be bringing them along for the ride. I think you'd provide, you'd, you'd create a very exciting product with Japan, Fiji, um, maybe the other Pacific nations possibly, um, and ourselves. I think that would be an awesome competition, super exciting, um, a lot of potential from it. Then New Zealand will just have to work out where they fit in, you know. They're going to have to answer to us and, and Japan. Um, you know, they have a fair bargaining because they're, you know, they're fantastic teams and, and play great rugby and all that sort of stuff, but they, there's a bit of downside to them. They're not the be and all and all. They think they all are. And I think it's a good opportunity for us to position ourselves in a more powerful, um, quadrant of the, uh, of the globe. Yeah. It's, it's, it's actually interesting me talking about, uh, New Zealand. I think also, um, I mean, from an economics perspective, you know, we have all the growth and potential and, probably as many Kiwi rugby fans in Australia than are in New Zealand. Um, but even just watching, like, the, the Warriors, kind of the, the hype and vibe around the New Zealand Warriors just has so much more life to it than Super Rugby. You know, was it the Hurricanes or the Chiefs played? Oh, the Hurricanes, I think, played the Force in a regional place in New Zealand. You know, Super Rugby game and no one shows up. Uh, mm. I've been saying this to Nick, especially to you, for years, like, let's cut the Chiefs. Because they're playing, you know, think about it. It's a be- team playing the best rugby in the world, winning one of the toughest competition in the world, and they can't even sell a stadium. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And it's, it's why? Why are we doing this? Why? And it kind of, you know, feeds into my kind of point before about, you know, have a Georgian prop. Why are we doing it by nation? Why are we you know, mm. got to have three foreigners? Why can't the Kiwis, if they're playing in Australia, can get picked for? The All Blacks, so it makes such a better competition. It's interesting you lean in on that because the whole idea, there was something to also, I think, with the current state of the model is looking back during pandemic times, there was something about Super Rugby AU that was something that I hadn't felt in terms of Super Rugby for a long time because Super Rugby Pacific, in all honesty, it feels like an extension of the Bledisloe in that we haven't won it for a long time. And, again, leaning into that point that you mentioned, Reg, that of Kiwis, uh, of kind of the fact that they, they there's, there is an arrogance there. I don't want to use the word arrogance, but just a, a constant belief that they will always be better, um, which is very frustrating. And watching Super Rugby AU, and we and you alluded to it, you know, with that grand final uh, when 45,000 rocked up at, at Suncorp, that was one of the best nights of rugby I'd ever watched. 
in a long time, um, even though my team lost, because it suddenly I, I suddenly had a feeling of, I want to beat this Reds team. It's not a case mm. of an Aussie team coming up against another Aussie team in a competition that we're not going to win. It was a case of uh, there's a rivalry and a feeling to it again that I hadn't felt in a long time. Maybe it's the – and maybe that – maybe you lean into a good point there. Is there a competition there? I mean, the question of the domestic of domestic competition has often been has been talked about to hell and back. I mean, we've talked about it in many different iterations. That idea of going to Japan or even like the approach that Twiggy had with that one round of global rapid rugby before the world shut down is interesting. It's interesting examining where that we can go from there. Yeah, Twiggy's a smart man. He knows. I mean, that's, you know, the competition was by no means what he planned, but he had a fair idea there. It was a, a strong Asian market and um, who knows what could have happened if, if – the forced if COVID didn't happen and the force didn't come back in, sort of thing. They, who knows where it could have gone. But uh, I, 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 Nick Hartman, I, I get what you're saying in terms of, um, you know, some of that talent and, and you know a model like Japan might facilitate that better. Where you know this week we're playing Panasonic and and we're playing against Samu Karevi and and uh, Harry Hawkins and Sean McMahon, you know, and, and maybe that'll change a little perceptions as to who should be in the Australian teams as well. Um, but, uh, look, it's a tough call with Kiwis. And I, I don't like it to be to sound like we're running from running from losses. But for the sustainability of the competition, there's got to be relevance. And year upon year of, of those sorts of games that are losing less and less relevance. And even the Bledisla, unfortunately. I mean, God, it used to be such a prestigious thing. We didn't play the All Blacks every year. Now we're sick of playing them. Um, and it's, you know... It's it's not as relevant. It's, we just lose that edge and, and glean a little bit, and I think a refresh is needed. And uh, we saw that with our U, as you're saying, Nick. It's um, it was different, and uh, we enjoyed it. And it would just be nice to to find that new enticement uh, that'll that'll get people back engaged again. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, just a just a quick comment about Asia. Um, my mum and dad went to Sri Lanka for a holiday and uh, they drove past this billboard. Dad's got a photo of it, a uh, tackle and bait shop. And they were using an image of Sharpie holding up a, a fish. I think they That's just hilarious. Instagram. Yeah, um, I, yeah, yeah. I reckon <laughs> I've seen that. Yeah, exactly. That's hilarious. That's like hilarious. Sharpie. There you go. There you go. He, he can be their first ambassador. The Singapore Sharps. <laughs> Yeah, they're really, really good at line-outs. That's it. Um, <laughs> I'd love to actually have a huge chat with, you know, sports business people and rugby people to know about the future of Super because, yeah, it, it, it looks like the Ottoman Empire circa 1914 at the moment. Well, with private equity coming again, that'll dictate things. Surely, that, you know, that's yeah, they're going to decide where the opportunities are, I would have thought. Yeah, and it might break that kind of feudal way of doing things that happens yep. so much in rugby. I guess just quickly, Eddie Jones, got any thoughts on him? Yes, excites me as a coach. Um, I get tired of his rhetoric. He's, he, he, we all know he bullshits, don't we? You know, mm-hmm. his podcast last week was comments on the, um, on the squad selections and saying, you know, we want guys from different backgrounds and, you know, Carter Gordon, he's come back, he's never played a rep game in his life. Carter Gordon went to one of the most elite schools in Brisbane and was in every junior rep side from the age of 15 sort of thing. He was Australian schoolboys and Eddie's not telling truths all the time and if he wanted real people with real backgrounds, Ryan Smith would have been the first player picked and stuff like that. So, look, you've got to... When my kids started their school, their headmaster on their first night said, um, said to all the parents, he said, look, we've got a policy here. We believe half the stuff your child says happens at home as long as you believe half the stuff they said happens at school. That's the same with Eddie. You guys just got to we, – we've just got to remember, believe only half the stuff he says is actual truth. He, he, he doesn't know it all. He likes to talk like he knows it all. He doesn't know it all. Put that aside, he's an exceptional coach and he's a great analyst of the game. I'm very excited about what he can do for this team. And as I've said already, I think he'll have some very short-term success. His challenge will be um, sustaining that longer term. Part of it also leans into sometimes Eddie likes his red herrings. And yep. some peop- And if you've got someone who will fall into the trap, 
it's something that he'll absolutely love. Um, that's what he loves to do. If there's one thing he can do, it's it's talk crap, but also know things. And get, uh, get, gets reactions, doesn't it? Yeah. It get reactions, and it's all it's all again leading into it uh, to what we alluded to earlier. It's all part of the theatre, and 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 sometimes that isn't necessarily a bad thing, but depends if he actually can back it up on the field. Because at the end of the day, that is all that matters. Exactly right. That's the concern. So yeah, he just puts pressure on himself, but I think he loves it. And you know, at the end of it, we'll just get more Eddie Jones stories, um, like <laughs> Ben Young's Skittle story. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And the, the Vunavali cattle prod story, yeah. What's the Vunavali cattle prod story? I, he turned up to the first day of Wallaby camp with a cattle prod going, where, that, where are you, Suli, where are you? <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Um, all right, time to move on quick questions. Pod's come to an end. Yes, we do. We hit you with quick fire questions to, to bring it to the end. A little, nothing too serious, just a bit of a laugh. First question, and this is more of a... Just, I just need to know, who's your prediction to win the Hospital Challenge Cup this year? Uh, I'm a West boy, but I'm going to say South. South's my dark horse. I think they've got an exceptional team this year, really good coaching team. They've uh, uh, recruited some good players. It depends who comes back from the Reds and stuff. And, in fact, God, you know, brothers might end up being stacked if Harry Wilson and James O'Connor don't make the Wallaby squad. But South, uh, South will be my dark horse for Magpies. Curious. I've, I'm really, I've been really enjoying Bond Uni at the moment. I've been yep. really enjoying how well they've been playing, and they've been looking the goods for a while. Also, their women's team has been on fire. They're um, amazing, aren't they? Yeah. Oh my god! So I'm, I'm kind of hoping that they pull it out because they've also, I don't think they've ever actually won it as the in the current form that they have. The no. last time was a, what was a long time ago. So interesting one. Shane Williams or Brian Habana? Uh, Shane Williams. Every day of the week. I love it. Look, I love the pure speed. But his stepping and, and um, his 2003 World Cup uh, down here in Australia will long live in my memories of his performance, particularly against the All Blacks. It was exceptional. I loved watching him play. What's your favourite rugby moment ever? So we're talking fan, gagger, podcaster, if you played, ever. <laughs> it is hard. I've been very privileged to to participate in a lot and, and, and through gagger and working at the Reds and, you know, winning premierships and, and all that sort of stuff. But uh, it's got to go back to a fan, and it's probably my defining moment. Uh, yeah, one of my defining moments, and he's forever my favourite rugby player, Michael Liner, but it's the 1991 World Cup quarterfinal. When, um, you know, obviously a, a sudden death game, uh, Gordon Hamilton scores a try in the corner with minutes to go in the game for Ireland, um, it's at sort of Lansdowne Road in Ireland and the place goes nuts and I think the reserves on the side of the field are already thinking about, shit, I have to pick up my laundry because we're flying home tomorrow. Liner gets the team under the posts, you know, checks with the ref, how long to go? Three minutes, Michael. Michael's, Nick Fly Jones gone off injured, Michael's now the captain. Gets the team under the posts and goes, okay, guys, we're kicking deep, they'll kick it out from the lineup, we'll run this play, we'll play an inside ball, we'll tame the ball um, and then we'll play this move from that. He kicks deep, they kick out, they get the liner, they retain the ball, they set up a scrum. Timmy Horan saying, let's kick the penalty, we'll, go, we'll, take, we'll kick, the, kick the field goal, um, you know, we'll take the draw and we'll uh, extra time or whatever it was, I don't know. Michael says, no, nope, we're going to play this move, we played it earlier, it worked, then we'll play it again. Played that move, it worked again, he scored in the corner, won the game. It's just, I, I, it's what I love about rugby, it's, it's chess to checkers. You know, I can't, league bores me to tears. I know it gets the hype and all that sort of stuff, but there's nothing smart about that game. Rugby is incredible. The contest at every contest and, and, and Michael, how he just manoeuvred that game, um, to get the outcome was, was just exceptional. Joe Montana was a player I loved from a 49ers from the gridiron. He used to do the same the way he could get in those 49ers back to win a Super Bowl. Michael just controlled that game. He knew what he wanted to do. He executed it perfectly. Um, and that's, that's the defining moment for me. It's, it's sort of changed my perception of the game and, and, um, and, uh, it's, it long lives my memory. It's, it's exceptional. Here I was thinking it was going to be the 20, the 2011 rugby with super rugby title win. That was very special too. Do you want me to talk you through that? <laughs> I think we we're all there. I remember it. Rich is, uh, Australian first Queensland second. He's a very, very much those North of the tweet. M- Michael's a Queenslander. <laughs> <laughs> What's your favourite rugby moment not involving Australia or the Reds? Oh, good question. Or any other team you support? Uh, uh, look, uh, and I'll go World Cup again, um, and I think this will be a lot of people's, but the 99 World Cup, 
semi-final, All Blacks France. I remember watching that. I was living in Sydney at the time. Uh, I think I was in a share house. Um, I might have been, been having a sleepover at my girlfriend's house. Got up in the middle of the night to watch it. No one else stayed awake because I think it was a Sunday night before a Monday. I think the Wallabies might have played Saturday, but it was a Sunday night. And just watching that game in absolute disbelief, but at the same trying, time trying to keep quiet and not wake up any in that, anyone else in the house in those old sort of townhouses in Sydney that are all wood and echo sort of sound. But that that was an amazing performance by France. Uh, it, it, again, it's one of those games I can put in at any time and enjoy every single moment. It was beautiful football by all those um, – uh, Christophe Lamazon and, and uh, Oliver Magnier and all those guys. It was exceptional. So easily, I would suggest that 99 um, World Cup semi-final. And the best part was we beat them the following week. Yeah, so exactly. Take, take, exactly. It as, take it as well. Um, so on the topic of it, we've talked about uh, coaches for the Reds and you talked about bringing in some someone with experience. Pick the one international coach that will be at the top of your list. God, forewarning would have been good for this one. No, that's uh, the point. We, we is don't this want like that. available guys or like anyone in the world. Any, well, it could be, actually let's let's throw it out to anyone to make it a bit easy for you, Rich. We'll make we'll throw it out to anyone, not necessarily people available because we haven't got the the list in front of us. I, I'd take Robbie Deans. Uh, look, maybe I'm getting too crusader heavy. Scott Robinson would have been fascinating because he's got <laughs> a great only because he's got a great connection with Queensland. It, it probably goes against what I've said. He doesn't have that international rugby experience. Yeah, I don't know. It, it's tough. Oh, you know what? Let's go. Uh, let's go. Let's bring Farrell over here, Andy Farrell. Oh, yes, please. If there is one player from the past, I feel like you might have already asked this question, you'd love to see play again live, who would it be? And why is it Michael? Uh, <laughs> yeah, no, no. Look, Michael, Michael had a great career and I saw lots from play. I always go back to... Guys whose I'd go career, guys whose career were cut short, and there's probably two. I'm going to cheat and say two, and they're probably for my generation. I don't know if you guys ever saw them. Brett Papworth um, played uh, debuted, I think, at about '86, and was just the most. He was like sort of Matt Giddo, um, yes, but his step in was incredible. But left to league, sort of, I think a year later, and then got injured. We never really saw his best. I would have loved to see him more. And then Garrick Morgan. Um, Oh, God, can I say Scott Gourlay as well? But Garrett Morgan was just an amazing lock. Went to play league again uh, and was one of the rare examples that actually came back and played again, but was never really the same. But when he was playing first debut for the Wallabies, I think must have been 94 or so, he was just a phenomenal player. Would have loved to see him play a lot more. Love it, absolutely. What player, rugby player, could you take on in a fight? (laughs) (laughs) Can I say... Let's say that current player. No, let's say yeah. current player, and you're the same age as them. Yeah, you're the same um, age as them. You're in the same so physical state. Yeah. Was, my sons. My, my sons play Colts footy. I was going to say my sons, but definitely <laughs> saying, uh, who could I take on in a fight if I'm the same age as them? Can yeah, they be yeah, the same? Like, they're not like now. It's not like yeah. So yeah. when I was in my peak at their time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, um, Tom Wright. <laughs> I love it. Uh, what's the best looking rugby trophy aesthetically in, oh, in the world, geez. in your opinion, and why is so, it the Yeah, I was going to say, <laughs> I assume we can't say the NRC trophy. Um, <laughs> uh, I've got a very soft spot, and this is obviously Queens, Queensland Reds focus, but Queensland Reds won a um, the Super Rugby title in the amateur days in 95, 94. Yeah. And it's, it's, you can't even drink out of it. It's not, it's full, but it's this massive, big, long thing. It's nice, tall and skinny. There's some great pictures of Peter Slattery hosting it, but that's got a special place in my heart. I think that's a great looking trophy. Just not practical from a drinking perspective. Disappointing. I, I just had to look up the Super Rugby trophy. I don't know what it looks like. What the current one? The, the big, tall, skinny one. No, like, no, it's the one that looks like an egg basket. Is the current? Yeah, topic. and it looks like a, it's got a cake. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. It's the egg basket, is what it is. It's, ah. a, it's a strange. It's a very strange one. All right, two more questions for you. You walk into a lift and your rugby hero is in there. Who is it? I mean, Lyon is the obvious one. I, I, I'll, I'll tell a story. Mark Lyon, you know, former Queensland Reds captain. He's a ophthalmologist up here, and I remember. Um, my mum booking me an appointment to get my eyes checked and I walked in, it was Dr. Mark Lyon and I was a stammering mess. 
um, for the rest <laughs> of that session. So, I don't know, someone, Mark Lyon or Michael Lyon. I, 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 I didn't see enough of Lyon play, so I'd have to say Michael Lyon. I, I just, you know, he's a special player. I think he's my favourite player. Is that your, like, your, your rugby celebrity story? It's one of them. I've got a few. I mean, yeah, like, he worked at the Red, so I guess that kind of, I don't know. It helps. It helps. I mean, I, <laughs> I, I, I still, and this is probably not what you're asking, but I still maintain Ewan McKenzie's one of the most impressive. And I've worked, at, I've been fortunate to work for a couple of Olympics, so I've met international athletes. Ewan McKenzie remains one of the most impressive individuals from a sporting perspective of men. I, I just think the world of him, and he was very good to me personally, but I just think broader than that, strategically and and, and authentically, he was, uh, I'm sure he still is, a very special person and uh, the biggest loss to the game in Australian mm-hmm. rugby for a long time. But I don't know. Choose any of those people. And then final question. <laughs> You're already laughing. Here's the here's the bite we're looking for right here. If the Wallabies win the Bledisloe, will the Green and Gold Rugby Show stick to its promise of coming back? I think we're just going through a tunnel. <laughs> um, you know I won't be the challenge in getting that happening. I'm, I'm here now. It's... It's trying to find Matt Rowley's new number. I think it's it's uh, it's on silent these days. So if you can track down Matt Rowley, um, even Hugh Cavill appears on Twitter every now and again. But if you can track down Matt Rowley, um, I'll be there in, in, in with bells on. So absolutely. I, I know where his office is. I can throw rocks at his window. Yeah. Can you get it? Can you get it over the big cast iron gates though? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you can bring yeah, back the titanium cladding in the ivory tower. Yeah, yeah, you can bring back Jamie Miller as well. Get get the yep. full get get them all in. Get them all in. I'll be in the producers chair. I will not say a word. Oh, it's you... Jamie off at Harvard now. I don't know where he is now. Dreams. He's somewhere overseas, but he'll be Kenneth Master. He always loves the chat. I'm done now. Questions are done. That's all I needed to know. Awesome. <laughs> that was great. Well, I think my answer to everything was Michael Lyon. <laughs> yeah, I think that's a really silly question. You know, rugby's a game of 15 players on the, on the field. When we're attacking, we're attacking weak defenders. We're looking for weak defenders. Why would we run at the strongest defenders? So if Martin's there and, and sorry, what's your name? Nick, and Nick's there, we're not going to run to Martin, are we? <laughs> Guys, can you just send my best wishes to Warren and make sure he enjoys the third and fourth playoff? <laughs>